Mighty Lord and Everlasting One, we come now to look at your word, Genesis chapter 4, which has so much relevance for us today that we pray that you would take these scriptures as we read them and press them into our mind and into our heart that we may desire you more, that we might call on your name more, that we might know you more. We ask for your help in this. We ask that your spirit would minister these words to us. Be with us as we read. Let the spirit of unction be present and of hearing be present. And let it be a most glorious word to our souls that we might take this away this week and use it for your glory. We so ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 4, verse 17 to the end of the chapter. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Ired, and Ired begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the others was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and had livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged, sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. In looking at this particular section of Scripture, we find that a godless society is forgetting what God has done. Marriage is even corrupted, and the first bigamist is demonstrated. Even the value of life was becoming valueless. God desires that his people value human life and protect human life in the bounds of marriage. But most importantly, we find the retention of the knowledge of God was the most important aspect of life for the righteous. It's what God desired of these men, of all of his men, of all of his people. We find Cain's family, we find his industry, we find that civilization is growing. The family of Cain altered the institutions of God and disdained the value of life, but at the same time, they produced cities, they produced music, and all types of implements for the good life. That's what they did. The world often prides itself on its cultural advancements. Cain had fathered Enoch, after whom... He named a city, and through whom the line developed to Lamech, which goes into verses 17 and 18. 
It says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, Cain knew his wife and fathered this son. Remember, Genesis is filled with genealogical lines. Cain is filling that genealogical line for himself and his family. Cain builds a city, and he names it after his son as a memorial to him. Not after God, but after his own son made it his own image, fallen and depraved. Personal glory and self-righteousness is always at the heart of fallen industry. The city becomes, as verse 17 presses us to think, a lasting monument to his son, a memorial. Cain's building a city, naming it after his firstborn, symbolizes his desire to build an earthly kingdom for himself. That's what he desires to do. Since he was kicked out of God's kingdom, he creates a family of the ungodly, creates his own kingdom. Oftentimes, the fallen wicked love their own kingdom more than God's kingdom. The very idea and why we were reading what we read in Matthew 26 about the high priest and the condemnation of Christ. They love their kingdom more than God's kingdom. Every world system and industry that copies his work, Cain's, is demonstrating a desire to reject God and build an ungodly family. That's what civilizations do that don't have God. Then we see some descendants. Enoch continued the line of descendants towards Lamech. Now, the building of the city is in and of itself a rebellious act by Cain, for he was condemned to be a ceaseless wanderer in the earth. But he didn't do that. Instead, he built a city. He was supposed to be a ceaseless wanderer, but instead he built a city, calls it Nod, and interestingly enough, Nod means wandering. Lamech, through two wives, then ultimately through these generations, fathered those who produced all kinds of implements for the enjoyments and convenience of life. So the, the city was built, it was a memorial to his son, fallen and depraved, wicked, and yet industry prospered. And even to the point where we're five generations down the line once we hit Lamech. Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada. Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah, and Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain. And he was an instructor, a craftsman of bronze and iron. Now, altering God's institution of marriage, Lamech took two wives and fathered those who produced cultural things. Industry was given prominence among his line. The food industry, that was going strong. Arts and entertainment, that was going strong. And even architecture and building, that was going strong. Men's achievements, without any mention of God's work, is given preeminence. The society described here is a society rejecting God and as we see how Cain had rejected God, so he infects his children to do the same. The narrative demonstrates that the family of the fugitive and the wanderer attempts to evade the curse of God by ingenuity and enterprise. Their prosperity is notable, and it is noted, and it is in the scripture, but it is an empty prosperity apart from God even though things are thriving. 
Then we see the depth of their wickedness by Lamech's song in verses 23 and 24. He, he exalts over killing a young man. What kind of moral people are these industrious people? What kind of moral people are these people who are in the food industry and arts and entertainment and building cities and so forth? What kind of people are they? Well, we've already seen the blatant disregard for God's law in their marriage and then a blatant disregard for his work in men and their talents in industry because it says nothing of giving glory to God. But then we have Lamech's boast. He said to his wives, Ada and Zillah hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man, or literally a lad, for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, and Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now, at the heart of this narrative about the advances in civilization is additional information about rebellion against God. God wants us to know what kind of people these are. First, there was bigamy, a problem that society was fa would face for ages to come. As we see over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Malachi, though, even, reminded the people of his age that God originally made man and woman as one, so there might be a godly seed. Malachi 2 and verse 1. That was the whole point. The prophet's message was based on Genesis and was a warning for the people to put away their foreign wives, their multiple wives. Ezra did the same thing and told the people that upon coming back from exile. But here... We see right from the very beginning, just a few generations into things, that even marriage is going awry. That which protects the family is now disdained. Then, secondly, there was a disdain for the value of human life. One theologian said it this way. When Lamech said what he said, it was a demonstration of strength for the benefit of the worm. Lamech was a worm. And he was boasting that he had killed a young boy. Five generations. We have a lack of discipline in the family to such an extent that the sanctity of the family is disregarded and Lamech kills and boasts in it. It's the first sin that was committed in the garden. And as we see, it was something that was here to stay. When the flood comes along, we'll find that murder was rampant. After taking vengeance on the young man, the lad, Hebrew literally is the lad, Lamech demanded greater leniency with vengeance that might come his way and that which was offered to Cain. Lamech's use of the word killed, that same word used in the account of Cain's murder, provides the link between the two crimes. It's the idea that as Cain had killed, God had placed vengeance on Cain in a certain way that he was going to be a fugitive and wanderer. But Lamech exploited, is, or is exploiting, the divine provision by expecting to be avenged 77 times as a result. Jesus even paralleled this passage when he said that the way of the righteous would be to forgive 70 times 7 in Matthew 18. So Lamech thinks in a very warped and twisted way, that God's, just like he protected Cain, is going to protect him. His crime is not as bad as Cain's, and he believes God is going to protect his life. Lamech's a far better person in his mind than Cain was. Cain killed his brother. Lamech just killed some other person, and God has to protect him since his crime isn't as bad as his father's. 
But what he's doing is he's slighting God's divine decree and believing in false security. Lamech was saying, don't worry, my wives, I won't be punished. I'm not as bad as Cain, for I've killed a man justly because he harmed me first. Cain slew his own brother out of hatred and malice for no good reason. And if God protected him for that, how much more is he going to protect me? And so we see man's total depravity coming to the very forefront again, like father, like son. But then we have a glimmer of hope. In verses 25 and 26, Seth's, Seth's family and the knowledge of the Lord is mentioned. The seventh from Adam through Seth was Enoch, who walked with God and who did not die. Genesis 5:24. So we find that things in the line of the godly will be getting a little better. But there's a particular reason. The seventh from Adam through Cain, and perhaps contemporary with Enoch, was Lamech, who boasted of killing a young man. But in the two lists... The speeches are attributed to only two of the people listed, to the two Lamechs that are there. Lamech, the descendant of Adam of Cain, sang a taunting song of how he killed this young man. But Lamech, the descendant of Seth, named Noah, in that he would bring people comfort from the pain of the curse. So, in Cain's genealogy, wickedness ensues. But in Seth's genealogy... Noah will ultimately bring comfort. God provides. Genesis 4.25 And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. And then she says, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Eve again displayed her faith with the expression of the sentiment over her son, who she named Seth. For God has, quote, appointed, which is what the Hebrew means, me another seed instead of Abel. So she expresses her faith that way. And the motivation for the name is at one time here a very poignant reminder of the murder and hopeful anticipation of things to come. What will God do now that he has given me this seed over the one whom was killed by Cain? The name Seth may mean something like a new beginning or a foundation. On this child, their hopes were renewed. And with this child, they once again rejoiced in God's provision. But then in verse 26, we find what happens when God places his seed in men. Seth was the father of Enosh, and a new beginning occurs. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. The faith of the other is strong. Because the people here, quote, began to call in the name of the Lord. The expression demonstrates a proclamation. Throughout the Pentateuch, the idea of proclamation is more than just simply praying something. It's explaining something. It's proclaiming something. The meaning of name also requires a little bit of interpretation because the word is actually followed by the name itself. Men begin to call on the name of of Yahweh, which is his name. Well, the meaning often refers to the characteristics or the attributes of God. The idea of this line is that people begin to make proclamation about the nature of God, about the nature of the Lord. To call upon the name Yahweh is to make an exclamation, 
a proclamation about who he is. And it's the oldest reference to worship that we have of Yahweh. It shows that the name Yahweh was known by God's people from the very earliest times. And it's interesting, and note in the passage, that all of this wickedness is going on, all of this wickedness in the world, this industry is building, the arts are being built, structures are being built, murder is going on. What do Christian people, so to speak, do in that kind of a land? It doesn't say that they went out and witnessed, interestingly enough. They didn't go out and evangelize the city of Nod. What it does say is that they began to call on the name of the Lord. What they did was that they worshipped. And so we have the conclusion in that particular passage. There are two things, then, that I want to pull out of this and that I want to talk about. One is false security. Lamech is the epitome of false security. The two lines are manifested. And throughout the Bible, we see them. The line of the serpent and the line of the woman. They're both seen in Lamech and in Seth. One line leads to destruction, and the other line leads to eternal life. One boasts in their sin. Just as Isaiah says, like they're pulling their sin as with a cart and rope to herald it down the center of the street. Exactly what Lamech did. And the other turns to God. Because of their sin, we see that depravity and sin gets worse. Not better. Now, we might think for a moment that Lamech is not as bad as his father Cain. Cain obviously did kill his brother for no good reason but hatred, envy, jealousy, and pride. Lamech killed the young man because it seemed that he was first wounded by the young man. Wasn't Lamech just in his actions? Isn't an eye for an eye the right thing to do? Well, no. We find that Lamech's depravity and sinfulness is 77 times worse than Cain's. Sin becomes more extreme. Lamech boasted in what he thought was what we might say poetic justice, but was a mere example of how sinful man had actually become. And sin never gets better in these cities further on. We know the flood is coming. Sin is getting worse and worse and worse. 1 Timothy 4.1 Even Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. Now think about that. If he is saying that so far along the chronological line of time, it sounds very much like Lamech himself having his conscience seared with such a hot iron. When you are seared with a hot iron, your flesh becomes numb in that particular area. Lamech was numb to the morality and reality surrounding the nature of God. If you read about great theologians in church history, you'll find that the older they got, the more that they had an impending sense of their sin and depravity. The more they knew about God, the more they knew that they were sinful and wicked. When people see their need, they have an intense feeling of sinfulness. Think about it. Luke 5.8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. He was in the boat with Jesus. The closer that Christ came, here we find Peter lamenting over sin, just because Jesus is standing next to him. He sees the reality of the Holy Messiah, and the more he comes to understand, he didn't do that in the beginning. He did that here, in the boat, not when he first met Jesus. 
Rather, what happens is that sinners often flatter themselves with some kind of hope of impunity. If they realized it, they would be in terror of hell and of judgment. But that they don't realize it, it demonstrates that they have a false security about their hope. Some are so hopefully deceptive and deceived that they think generally that they're good people and they're going to escape judgment simply because they do some good things. Jonathan Edwards called this self-deception, quote, a vain self-flattery. They flatter themselves, believing that they are going to escape judgment. It's exactly what Lamech was talking about. The wicked will always boast in false security before God. False security tells a person that they are safe and secure from all alarm, as the song goes. And that alarm would be the wrath and judgment of God for sinners. They think that they're safe from it. Like having a seatbelt on in a car which is going to explode. The moment you turn on the ignition is really what's going on. They think that they're safe because they have the seatbelt on in the car, but then they turn the ignition on and the car explodes. They don't even know that that's going to be the case. It deceives them in that they can't rest easy in their sin. And it deceives them in that they need not show forth fruit. No matter what I do, God will protect me. That's what Lamech was saying. And it tells people that they're safe in their sin. False security stems from a variety of instances, but mostly from the sin of ignorance and unbelief concerning God's word. Repenting and turning from sin is far different than the unbiblical notion of accepting Jesus. We need to begin to revive the terminology of the Bible. People like Lamech need to repent and turn. What kind of people make up that world system? People like Lamech, who are in a sense of false security and think everything is okay. But what they don't realize is, big point number two, that the world civilization stands in opposition to God. It is in direct opposition to who he is. The narrative that we read and that we went over describes the first fallen society. Genealogically, society that follows its morality and model will be further expressions of it. So if America wants to follow in the food industry in arts and entertainment, and in great architecture and building in the same way without acknowledging who it is that's really behind such talents, they will follow the exact same impending doom that Lamech was about. Self-indulgent, self-gratifying, building cities and developing civilization, they did this without the law of God. And they did it harnessed with unbelief. In opposition to that, God's people are to be a kingdom as well, but a kingdom of priests, building a spiritual temple for God. In contrast, God desires his church to be that kingdom of priests to worship the Lord and proclaim his name. That's the doctrine. In a rebellious and self-indulgent society, the righteous must preserve the knowledge of the Lord. That's what the passage is talking about. It shows the contrast between the two. One is like Lamech, or one is like Seth. The doctrine of God is the most important theological teaching, and 
That is what is going to bring men back on a right track. That's why the world often has their own whacked out conceptions of God. All of the craziness that pops up. Kabbalah, Gnosticism, crazy Jewish teaching that is sweeping the celebrities, or all of the stuff with Scientology, or all of the ideas surrounding Mormonism, or the cults. All of this stuff, these twisted ideas, these New Age ideas, these false theological ideas, the world has their own conceptions of who God is. That's why when you go into the 12-step program, your higher power could be the doorknob on a door. With a society that follows Lamech, that's the result. And so we have false security, which the world sits in, believing that everything's okay. And then we have a civilization made up of unbelief in that false security, but God's people should demonstrate and preserve the knowledge of the Lord. Let's apply those two ideas. Our society in America is the society of Lamech by far. A society of false securities. In today's society, it's much the same that people don't have the fear of God before them. Lamech didn't. People don't. Success is not blessing. In Lamech society, they had all sorts of things. They had the food industry. Lamech could sit down on his cable and watch Emerald. They had arts and entertainment. Go out to the movies every so often. They had architecture, buildings, cities. That's why people often use the very benign term, God bless America. What they mean is that They've prospered, so let's continue to prosper. It's really nothing to do with God. God's blessing may not be that kind of blessing, but that's not what they're thinking about. They're thinking because we have all of these wonderful things that Lamech did, so we're okay. But it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction in Proverbs 1.7. You know, we can print on our money in God we trust, and we think that everything is okay, but the Bible has names for those kinds of people, Apostate, wicked, evil, lost, deceived, reprobate. Even many so-called Christians act that way. People believe in false security all the time. When you have a sense of false security, you can boast in your sin and never know it and not even feel bad about it. Do you think if Lamech knew that he was going to burn in hell that he would have said such a thing? That would lead him there all the quicker? False security is when you think you'll go to heaven, but really don't know for sure, but live as if you are sure. That's how false security works. It allows you to sin and think it's okay to sin. Well, Jesus died for me because I walked the aisle. I know I'm going to heaven. I can ask for forgiveness. I did this or that, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is forgiving me. Look, let me open my wallet and pull out my card that says, five years ago I walked the aisle and said a prayer. False security tells us that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. But Peter exhorts us, the same one who cowered in the boat, said, make your calling an election sure. False security often will rest satisfied in itself. 
Real Christians hunger and thirst after righteousness and desire the things of God. But false security tells us to be satisfied. Satisfied in your Christian life as it stands now. Satisfied in your life in general as it stands. That's why there's a difference between the world system that is under a false sense of security and what it means to call upon God. But the sin of false security can and must be done away with. False security is really just a nice way of saying that you're lost and going to hell, according to the Bible. And no Christian is exempt from examining themselves to be sure that their salvation is not anything less than full assurance, because otherwise they're just deceiving themselves. That's why Paul exhorts the Christians at Corinth. With all the craziness that was going on, still he exhorts them, you know, you can be saved, yes, but examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are actually in the faith. Unless, of course, he says, you fail the test. Those who call themselves Christians must put themselves on trial to see whether or not they're going to be convicted of acting and walking and talking and living as Christ did. That's why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? He says that to do all sorts of things and to know all sorts of things, to grow in the knowledge of God. Salvation towards good works is only a remedy for, is the only remedy for false security. Because it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. I just talked to a young man um, on Thursday who thought that what he had to do in order to get into heaven was prepare himself by casting off sin so that he would be savory, approved before Christ so that Christ would take notice of him and save him. What he missed was that he can't do any of those things. There's not one aspect of sanctification. There's not one aspect of mortification of sin that anybody, that, that anybody can do in order to make God notice him. Now, he's on the other extreme. He doesn't have a false sense of security. He believes he's going to hell and he wants to find Christ. But don't ask what you've done for yourself. Don't ask what you can do. Rather, to really find out whether somebody is embedded in a false security or not, ask what you're doing for the kingdom. Because you can't measure your spirituality by doing things that hypocrites do. Thus, false security is dispelled by asking the heart question about what you really love. Because we as Christians, we can't be Christians and not change. We have to be Christians and change. He who says he abides in Christ ought himself also to walk just as Jesus did. First John 2, 6. That's what we do. So your heart will show you what your walk is like. So we check the heart. It doesn't matter if you say Jesus died for me and I believe in his name because false security is false belief. People can deceive themselves. False security, that's blind men who think they can see. If someone cannot say of you, look, there goes a man, look, there goes a woman who overflows with the things of the spirit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, that's where we have to begin to examine ourselves. We lie upon the operating table of the great physician, who is Jesus, and we have to have our heart worked on. He uses surgical tools like the iron spikes and the crowns of thorns and a cross and a large Roman spear. And he is the one who changes our hearts that we might go after him. But he must do that first. Otherwise, we will never go after him and will remain in a false sense of security. The remedy 
is exactly what our passage says. Calling upon the name of the Lord. It demonstrates where people's hearts are. Our society is filled with ideas of self-security. The self-help stuff is everywhere. It's all over the place. It's especially in Christian bookstores. They're listening to Dr. Phil. The text is very specific. It's about the nature of God as a preserving agent. That is the remedy for the opposition of the worldview that lies in false security. Lamech was generations down the Canaanite line and has a false misconception about what God is like. What he is like, what he does, who he is. And that false misconception fed their society. You know, psychologists today attribute so much of sin to just the lower self-esteem that somebody has. That's why you feel insecure and detached. Well, where do we ever find the Bible talking about bettering your self-esteem? There is actually a really good passage that talks about, you know, self-esteem. It's this one here. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. That is what self-esteem is. It's no good thing. Infidelity, doubt, error, heresy, apostasy, all of those are opposed to true and real faith. Infidelity is dissent from the faith in a man who has not yet professed the true religion. Doubt occurs in the one who's made a profession, but whose assent is now diminished or taken away in some way. Doubt that only diminishes assent may coexist with a weak face, but doubt which takes away assent cannot. Error in faith puts forth an opinion that's contrary to faith. And heresy adds stubbornness to error. Then apostasy is that it's everything that's contrary to faith. All of these things are in opposition to calling upon the name of the Lord. We need to have God esteem. And that's where true security comes from. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why Genesis says, and men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, there are many of them, pages of them. But here are a few. Names. Because with names revolve doctrine and ideas and knowledge. For example, Jesus Christ is called Advocate in 1 John 2.1. He's called All and in All in Colossians 3.11. He's called Almighty, Revelation 1.8. Altogether Lovely, Song of Songs 5.16. The Amen, Revelation 3.14. The Anchor, Hebrews 6.19. The Ancient of Days, Daniel 7, 9 to 11. The Angel of the Lord, Genesis 16, 9 to 14. The Anointed, Psalm 2, 2. The Apostle, Hebrews 3, 1. The Arm of the Lord, Isaiah 53, 1. The Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 1, 8. The Author and Finisher of our Faith, Hebrews 12, 2. Those are just some of the A's. Emmanuel, the express image of God's person, the father of eternity, the forerunner, the friend of sinners, the image of the invisible God, the intercessor, the judge, the kinsman, the lamb of God, the light, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the merciful high priest, the Nazarene, the Alpha and Omega, 
Righteousness, root, rod, second man, seed of Abraham, son of righteousness, teacher, tender plant, truth. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. These are the things that they knew to be true about God and his character. Calling on the name of the Lord is the whole worship of God. Spiritual worship of God continued to fuel faith. And they began to know him better. And such a faith will always restore religion, even in a wicked and fallen society. Calling upon the name of the Lord is the remedy for a wicked society. It's answering the question, number seven, what is God in the larger catechism? God is a spirit, in and of himself infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Natural worship directs itself towards God, either as our good or as good in himself. And the worship which directs itself towards God as our good regards him either as he is at present in faith or as he is to be ours in hope. Faith is the virtue by which clinging to the faithfulness of God we lean upon him so that we may obtain what he gives to us. He who receives his testimony has sealed that God is true. As many as receive and believed in his name. John 1.12 We have to have a knowledge of what God testifies to. We have to have an affection towards God which gives his testimony great force in our heart and in our mind. We have to assent to that truth. And we have to rest on God for the receiving of what is given. The nature of faith is excellently sent forth in the scriptures when the faithful are and said to cleave to God. That is what it means to choose the way of truth and to cleave to the testimony of God. Faith is our life as it joins us to God. And in a demonstration of that, it seems, for example, that the entire religious system of Seth's day was a result from his family's commitment to the word of God and to the worship of God. I just didn't say the righteous of his day. It was Seth's family commitment to the word of God and worship of God. It was his line, his genealogy, his children, his generations. He taught, they taught, continued to teach. And so there's a question as to which genealogical line will follow, Lamech's with industry or Seth's with right worship and right doctrine. There is no doubt that we have received from the heathen a great many helpful things, science, astronomy, music, culture, food. But all of those things are those things that God has given men their talents, Mozart and his music. But what do we rejoice in? What are we jubilant in? The godly line is the preservation of saving knowledge of the nature of God. That means that we, as Christians, must know who God is. We must study, most assuredly study, the doctrine of God. Every heresy that has ever plagued the face of this planet from all time has always fallen around the heresy in some way of God's nature, being, will, who he is. Always around him. Doctrine of God, always twisted, always changed, always befuddled. 
That's what, exactly what Lamech did. He boasted in false security instead of what God had actually said or what God actually was like. I got an email just the other day. He said, write for me a page explaining why your religion is right and I'll believe it. So I wrote him back. I said, simple, colon, it's the truth. And that was it. Because it is. The scriptures themselves demonstrate the truth of the nature, attributes, and personhood of God, who he is as Father, Son, and Spirit. And demonstrating that, we believe the truth. I'm not interested in just believing religious ideas. Seth's people called out on the name of the Lord, called out on the name of God, called out on all the different names, because all the different names fueled their perceptions of who he was, because they had an intimate relationship with the Advocate, with the Alpha and Omega, with Yahweh Jireh, the Lord our Provider, Yahweh Tzidkenu, the Lord our Righteousness. His names, Yahweh, I am that I am, fueled their knowledge. And that fuel was expressed in worship, in right worship. That is what we should be striving for. The entire religious system of Seth's day was a result of his family's commitment to the word of God and the worship of God. May we express that same kind of commitment today to Christ, the Messiah. Let's pray together. Mighty Lord and Everlasting One, we thank you for demonstrating to us in the Word of God who you are. Over and against all of the things that happen in society, all of the neat little gadgets that are out, all of the entertainment that we can partake of, and the fancy restaurants that we can eat in, and the food that we can buy, and all of the various structures that we go to work and that we live in, the roads that we travel on, oh Lord, and even in all of that, let us, according to your grace and mercy, be fueled with the knowledge of who you are, that we might worship you rightly and find that as the most important thing in our life. Help us to worship you rightly. Whether there be four or four hundred of us, let us, O oh Lord, have the same commitment that Seth did, that we might honor you and love you accordingly. And we so pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 